Just a quick note that this is the free version of the Wheel Talk podcast. And if you're a member of Escape Collective, there is a longer version of the episode on the members only feed for the Wheel Talk podcast. We have, it's on the universal feed and the Wheel Talk feed, but there's a longer version where Helen answers more with listener questions. We got to an hour of the podcast and we were having such a good time chatting that we wanted to get to more listener questions and ended up being an hour and a half of recording. So I spliced out a good chunk of that and threw it in for the members of Escape Collective. If you're not a member, you can sign up for Escape Collective and get access to a ton of awesome content on the Escape Collective website and bonus stuff on the podcast. There's placeholders after dark. This is Wheel Talk, not after dark. I don't know. I'll come up with a different name. But for now, we did talk longer. If you'd like to hear that, it's on the Escape Collective members only feeds. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Let's get back to the episode. My name is Abby Mickey, and you're here listening to the Wheel Talk podcast from the Escape Collective. We talk about road women cycling, but this week I thought maybe we would try something different, and I'm going out of my comfort zone to talk about the Cyclocross World Championships, but I brought someone who's very much in their comfort zone, and that is Helen Wyman. Thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. Hi, it's nice to be here. You were one of the most requested um, guests of the Wheel Talk podcast, so I'm so excited that you're here this week to talk about a great weekend of racing. Yeah, I mean, Cyclocross is the World Championships this weekend was absolutely fantastic. It was definitely a lot of solo victories, but it was just brilliant, brilliant bike racing to see. And cross is the best sport in the world, so obviously. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, the season isn't over for cross, but it was an epic point in the season that um, was so cool. I was able to do commentary on every race. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really good to see. I feel that part of my, no, I don't, I don't have any problem with cross. Like I, I enjoy watching cross when I watch it. It's super fun to watch. And it's always just like, I always watch it and I walk away and I'm just like, Ouch, because I did like two cross races in my life and both of them were just miserable. One was in like, it was like a foot of snow and and my feet were so cold. I was just like, (laughs) who came up with this sport? Because they were insane. (laughs) Whose idea was this? I bet you did them in Colorado as well, didn't you? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like dry altitude as well. To be mm. fair, I've raced once in Colorado, uh, um, Val, Valmont bike park. Yeah. It? Valmont bike park in Boulder. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good race. I did that race and it was super fun because it's like really well made. It's a bike park. So you're not yeah. racing like through field, random fields and stuff. And it's like made for something like this. But then you've got altitude. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of sucks when you're racing at 195 heart rate. You really don't That's get true. any recovery. <laughs> That's uh, very yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, cross is just amazing because it's so different. It's so varied. You never get the same thing. Even you could go to the same course and you wouldn't get the same thing the next year. And this year has been really, really muddy, which for me was my absolute favorite conditions. Um, and previous years have been quite fast. The last three or four years have been really fast. And so normally in a season, 
every rider has their skill set and what they're really good at. And every rider can find something in a race that um, that they're good at and that they can improve on. And then they can they can showcase how good they are. And to me, that's one of the best things about cross. I did road racing for a long time. I went to three road world championships to support Nicole Cook. Um, and it, it just just didn't do it for me. <laughs> you know, like one time I was in a break in a World Cup in Sweden and there was 10 or 11 of us in this break. And it was like Mariana Voss, Nicole Cook, Lynn Scott, who was like brilliant at the time, Swedish national champ and Olympic medalist. And like all of the riders, the protagonists for the race. And you're like, oh my God, I've made it. This is the first World Cup that I've ever been in this top 10 position. And like, this is it. And because there was too many favorites, they all sat up and we came back to the bunch and ended up like 50th again. And it's just like, what is this? Whereas in cross, at the same time, I was already podium at World Cup. So I was already top five in the world. I'd won nationals. And it was just like, like I'm better than this, but these people have better tactics. And I don't like that. I don't want to think when I'm racing. I just want to do it and make other people hurt. And yeah. So that's the difference between cross and road in my experience. Yeah, I mean you're you're totally spot on. I feel like there's um road is maybe for the people who don't want to suffer as badly. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> or you're still suffer suffering. In yeah, they're yeah, like, you're, here and then here and then here. And whereas exactly. in cross, you're like, fifty minutes of pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's um some people can't handle that. And you know what? I'm I'm one of those people. <laughs> The Cross World Championships was this weekend, and we had three amazing races. The the elite women's and the U23 women's races, I think, we'll focus on a bit more today. And then we also have a ton of listener questions from your vast fan base that also listens to the Wheel Dog podcast. Um, let's talk about the course first, because uh the course i felt like was really interesting you talked a lot on commentary about how big the steps were and the regulation uci regulation steps so they were bigger than you'd normally see in a cross race and also the difference between the top half and the bottom half of the course so before we talk about the actual racing what was your takeaway from the course itself yeah it's a very traditional course table has been on the calendar for ever basically i think it was one of my first worlds um and it's it hasn't changed. Those steps have been there forever. And the steps are really, really high because they go up a steep, a steeper section to get to this bank. But the really different part about Tabor to a lot of other courses is that when you remount, you're still going uphill. And remounting on a cross bike is quite tough anyway. But, you know, the best riders in the world, it's just natural to them. But when you have to remount uphill, you don't have the speed and you need speed and momentum in order to jump on properly. And so there you jump on and you saw in a lot of the races when it was muddier on the Saturday particularly the elite women's race they're actually cutting diagonally across the hill because they were taking the gradient out so that they could jump on and the the steps there yeah they're they're definitely a lot higher than we see in most places um normally if it was that kind of gradient you'd just have a bank and you had to put your foot in and just climb up whereas there they've had these steps forever and then after the the planks remounting again is uphill so like the skill that you'd use in every other other race of just the step is the obstacle and then just remounting is natural whereas there you actually have to train to remount in a slow speed going uphill and get your feet in quick and put the power down quick because if your feet aren't in, then it's a real struggle. You can't pull up as well as push down and you need to like force out power in that moment. And 
yeah for the even in the men's race we actually saw them using the little ring which they never use in cross races and so it shows just how tough it is on the the remount sections but the planks were uh, maximum uci limit which now is 40 centimeters and when it's dry a lot of the riders can bunny hop puck peters blank vas annick van alfa and the you know the top riders can jump over them but because of the weather conditions nobody the whole weekend um right in the races was able to actually jump there's a brilliant reel of uh that they actually used on eurosport the a reel of all these crashes of people trying to go over the yeah jump over <laughs> yeah yeah it was really funny i mean funny and also painful everything about cross <laughs> not painful in cross doesn't hurt when you crash only nice it's the only time only when you're trying to bunny hop a barrier and then you can't and your shin goes into the next barrier and you need stitches yeah okay yeah there's the <laughs> is we okay video from like I don't know, like 2010 ish that that would have hurt <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it you could tell that the course was super hard because in in both the women's races the elite and the u23 women's races it was just everyone was filtering in in ones and twos and both races were pretty much over within a lap like it was crazy how much the peloton and or the the field i guess you'd say in grass broke apart in both races so quickly because it just seemed like a really hard course yeah the the riders are very dominant so Fem van Empel as yeah I think she's won 17 of the 19 races she's ridden or some there's there's a yeah I can't remember how many races she's won but she's basically won everything that she could apart from one race um and so she's incredibly dominant anyway and when it comes to um to racing during the season you've got quite a lot of races i know it's not the same as as road racing but the intensity is really high and we do back-to-back races um on a weekend and everything's important so there's three major series in belgium super prestige b post uh sorry x2o bag cameras trophy and then the world cup and then you've got nationals europeans world so everything seems really important and so when you're training, you have to train through and pick what your goals are. But at the same time, you're always thinking about the next race. Whereas when it comes to the world championships, that is the race. That is the race that you've been planning. You haven't raced in seven days, um, six days maybe. And you, everything is for that event. And so you don't want to just wait around and you don't want to save energy. You're just putting everything in. So Fem is going to go from the gun as hard as she can and see who's able to stay with her. And obviously it turned out nobody and that was actually the biggest winning margin since at least 2010 in a world championships. And that's how much she was not going to wait around for anybody because you do not want to make mistakes. And, um, and we saw that in some of the other races, the same as, as Baxter has been peaking specifically for the under 23 world championship. She wanted to win that. She's won junior. She was second last year and she's won um, the European champs. She knows she's super strong. Other riders have beaten her in World Cups this season, like Bentfeld and Schreiber, but um, she like she skipped out the national championships in order to continue training in Spain so that she could be at peak form for Worlds. So even though, like when you compare it to road worlds, everybody's trying to peak for that event as well, but there's tactics involved and there's teamwork involved, whereas here it's the individual. And when you get a course-like table, which is super hard, you can just ride it as hard as you can and just watch the people behind just disappear. And it, you know, it gives you confidence to keep riding that hard. But once you've got a gap, it's easier to ride at 
just above threshold when nobody's behind you making you make mistakes or nobody's in front of you trying to cut you up and things like that or change the pace. It's much easier to just ride just below where you know you're going to crack and just ride there for 50 minutes, basically. And so because of the nature of the course, I think we saw a lot more individual racing than we have done in some other years. Um, but Van Empel was just super, super strong and super dominant this year. And Baxter, on her day, she just knows how to peak and she knows how to be the best on that day. And she always has. And she seems to have this incredible ability to absorb all of the pressure around her. And because she was the out and out favorite coming in, Schreiber was, because of Schreiber's results leading up to Wild, she was one of the favorites too. But she, she doesn't seem to have that same maybe it's not confidence. I don't really know what it is. It's just this ability to absorb all this pressure from like national federations, from external people, from everybody saying, well, you're the favorite, you're going to win. And she's just like, yeah, okay. I wonder for Zoe, how much of that is just having her dad, her dad as her DS on the road. And he was in the pits uh, in her cross races, like having him, he knows what the pressure is like. He knows what it feels like to go into a race and have all of this pressure on you. And so she would have grown up with that knowledge, with his knowledge passed down. And maybe he's contributed to being like a, maybe a buffer in a way, or like a sponge to try to ease the pressure for Zoe, just because he knows how it feels. Yeah. I think there is definitely an element of that. And we can't forget as well, her mum was national road race champion and was like yeah. top five in World Cups on the road. So um, her mum was just as legit good <laughs> yeah, at the time when women's road racing was like non-existent. Women didn't exist then, did we? So like for her, she's got that information from her mum. She was on the national team and also a time where women didn't exist in the national team and there was some issues uh, um yeah that you know like led people to eating disorders and all kinds of things back then um and she grew up in that era so not only does she have her dad who was a, a yeah winner of Paris Roubaix but she also has um the female experience of her mum and understanding of the not so good bits and so maybe together collectively they've been able to um help her when she grows to understand like yeah, you don't have to listen to that person or you don't have to listen to that person or you are your own person or, but there's probably also a, a huge element of nature in that, you know, in, in personality. Um, successful people quite often have a certain personality traits and, and that's nature rather than nurture. But at the same time, yeah, I think it must, I know when I was racing, having, Steph's my husband. He was also my um, coach and driver and mechanic and everything. And he had a team of people helping him, Belgian guys and um, and Belgian lady who was my pit start lady. Um, and he always was that buffer between anything else to me. So people would talk to him because like he'd be outside the camper, like cleaning the bikes and stuff like that. And I'd be either pre-riding or inside and like chilling and stuff. And so they'd come to him and he wouldn't apply that pressure that they're applying to him to say, oh, she could win today or something like that. And then he's not saying that to me. I'm not hearing that information and I'm not thinking, oh God, everyone thinks I'm going to win. I'm just thinking what I'm thinking inside. And, and he's like, oh, you could do this and this. You could do really well here. Like 
think about how you're going to do this tactically. He wouldn't say, oh, you, this is, of course is perfect for you. You're going to win. So yes, I'm sure that Magnus is like that as well, that Magnus and Megan are like this buffer that protect that rider a little bit. But when she's in an environment like the GB national team, there's no one to protect her there. Um, having said that, cyclocross is very friendly. Matt Ellis is a national team manager for Great Britain and he raced in Belgium. He like back in the late nineties, him and his then girlfriend went out to Belgium. He got a job working in a factory and he worked and raced full time. And, you know, he did really good. He knows what it's like to be in Belgium in those circumstances. And so for him, he doesn't apply that pressure in the same way, but she's raced on the track. She's raced on the road. You know, she's been in that environment and she knows she just knows how to deal with it and some riders know how to deal with it naturally better than others but there probably is an element of yeah when she's on her road team at canyon tram she's obviously uh magnus is the ds there as well so but i think that would have to be more of a professional relationship because there's a lot more involved you know my, again my husband was ds on the road teams that i rode on and you know we had nicole cook on our team and we've had uh, lizzie Lizzie Deegnan now, isn't it? Um, Joe Rousel, Laura Trott, like really famous riders have been on his pro teams over the years. And you had to create a bit of a boundary. And like, yeah, when he's, when we're on the road, he's the DS, like when we're at home, he's my husband. It's just, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's a father daughter thing, it's slightly different, but yeah, it's still, you do have to create a bit of a, a barrier, but yeah, I think I think a lot of it is just Zoe's personality, to be honest. I think she just doesn't bulk under pressure, which is really, really cool to see. Yeah, it's impressive from someone like her age, but also just how how accomplished she is already and also like how exciting it is watching her race the worlds this weekend and then kind of thinking, okay, well what what does that mean for the future of cyclocross? Because like in the elite women's race, we had I mean one third of the way into the course in, into the first lap of the course it was six dutch riders in the front and the it turned into like the dutch nationals basically and so looking at someone like zoe who obviously knows super well like how to peak for a race like worlds and putting her into an elite race like this and that ability of hers but also her ability on the bike how she can maybe, I mean, I think it's kind of the same on the road. We look at like, okay, who can beat SC works? Who can we, who can we slot into the race that is going to be able to beat SC works? And I feel like watching the, the elite race on Saturday, you're thinking like, okay, who can break up this Dutch showdown that's happening because it's just all Dutch. I mean, they went one through four, um, which I feel like was pretty unsurprising based on how the season has gone and how they've all been riding. I mean, Puck Peterson, she's amazing. Lucinda Brand is a legend. This was her her seventh world's medal, which is wild. Like, that's insanely <laughs> impressive. <laughs> and obviously, Celine Del Carmen Alvarado is amazing as well. So there's like all of these riders are, are amazing, but you still want there to be a little bit more variety in the top, you know, on the podium at, at the Worlds than, than all Dutch. So, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Zoe is definitely one for the future that will, I don't see why she couldn't be an elite world champion. Absolutely. And there isn't just because there's so many good Dutch riders now, it doesn't mean that they're invincible. And when I was racing, me and Nikki were both 
right up there all the time. Um, and we've had, um, I think there was a, a stat that I had 10 World Cup podiums and not a single win. And she <laughs> and she had two wins, like four World Cup podiums or something. So between us in, in those 10 years, you know, we were on the podium nearly 20 times. So like you, you can break up. And at the time there was, you know, throughout the eras, there was always good Dutch riders. There was always one or two really, really good Dutch riders that were winning everything. And it wasn't just Voss. There was Van Passen and Van der Brand and, and Hanke Koot van Agel was in there as well. So, and then Kant comes along and she's super incredible for like four years. And it was never like lots of nations together. The Dutch were always, always had more numbers than any other nation, but there was always a mix of other riders in there. So it's not impossible for a British rider to come in and, I mean, Evie Richards has won an elite world cup. Um, it's not, it's not impossible for these British riders to come in and make their name in the sport. And Zoe's doing a really good thing in the way that she's living in Belgium in the winter as well. Um, and that's the best way to, um, to just engross yourself in the culture. And I mean, the Belgian skies are very low. <laughs> it feels like slightly compressed at times, but the Belgian people are amazing. And when you're training in that, it, it gives you a little bit, uh, not hardiness. I don't know what it is. It just, it, it just gives you a little bit of magic as well as the hardiness maybe, because I mean, she's living near Werdegem, I think. And we used to live in Aldenada, which was where Koppenberg Cross was, which is like the epitome of Belgian cyclocross. If you could win worlds, the next thing would be Koppenberg. And I used to ride past it on training rides and you just smile because you know I won that four times and it's like, yeah, I've got big cobbles in my basement. This is unsafe for three-year-olds. Um, <laughs> so, so I've got these like eight kilo cobbles in my basement right now. Um, they will come out again. Um, and <laughs> like... And every time you ride past it on a training ride, you're just thinking, like, it just makes you smile. You're like, yeah, like, this is Belgium. This is cross. This is, and it's a tiny bit more magic than coming in every weekend just to do the races. It feels like it's a bit of an effort. Whereas when you live there, it's every race is within an hour and a half. There's nowhere in Belgium that isn't an hour and a half from where you live. So it, it's easy to drive to your home that night. You can watch it on TV because, you know, you've already recorded it. And yeah, it's just, you're just engrossing yourself in that magic, which inspires you a little bit more in cyclocross. Equally, when you're not doing so well, people will drop into the supermarket and be like, oh, so you had a rubbish weekend, huh? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> not buy anything and then they'll just leave. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there is the stuff like that and people will talk to you. And, you know, um, where I used to go to the gym, the guy was like, oh, you're Helen Wyman. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, you should have got your elbows out of the weekend. <laughs> I was like, right. <laughs> okay. I still got second. He's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, well, she was better at the climbs. Yeah, but. <laughs> but if you'd only like, got your elbows out, then yeah. who knows? <laughs> well, what what gym exercises can I do to make my elbows more pointy? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and it's cool. It's really cool. Cool because you're part of this. Um, you're almost almost mini famous but not famous and so it doesn't affect your life but at the same time it makes you smile because you're just part of this this cross scene you know and if somebody is out riding and rides past and they're like oh you say yeah I ride cyclocross they're like all right have you raced Koppenberg I was like yeah I won it and they're like oh my god and so whereas in any other country you you know 
you're like yeah I race cyclocross they're like and what do you do for a job <laughs> no no really that, that that's my job I get paid to do that how does that work <laughs> okay <laughs> so yeah and I think that would inspire Zoe as well to to stay in the sport plus you see I see in the elite men's how the likes of uh, Matthew van der Poel, Wout van Aert, Tom Peacock, in the past, Lars Boom, Stybar, who we saw retired at the weekend. They've all gone from cross. They've become elite world champions and then they've gone into the road. And I really hope that Zoe keeps her focus on cyclocross for that bit longer because I think she can, um, it definitely helps young riders to stay in the sport for longer because they they don't get forced into these long long training rides and long endurance and like tiring your body out because in cyclocross it's about top end and you can do that in a short period of time and it makes you jumpy it makes you like able to do attacks and sprints and it at the same time it it's fantastic training in the winter for the summer and i just think that in cross there is actually more money for women prize money um than there is on the road I mean, that's a huge issue on in road racing. And um, we managed, when I was on the UCI Cyclocross Commission, I managed to get a promise of equalised prize money, even though um, they didn't do it as quickly as I wanted to. But we now have equal prize money across everything. So it's €5,000 to win a World Cup and it's €40,000 to win the overall at the end. And so the first year we had equalised prize money, Celine Del Carmen Alvarado was the highest winner of prize money had the most prize money of any elite athlete elite cyclocross rider in the world and she got 125,000 euros in prize money and Elizabeth got 110 or something because he didn't win as much as she did that year and that's just prize money that's not your salary that's not your start money in cyclocross you have start money and while men and women's is very different you're still the likes of an Alvarado would be getting 1500 to 2000 euros to start a non-World Cup race, any other race, you'd get that. And so it's a lucrative sport. And for a young rider like Zoe that comes in and wins these, can win races, it's actually a very lucrative sport. And it's a good way to get confidence from winning races because you know you're a winner. And the likes of Van Empel are the likes of Voss or Prevot in the past that can cut into a road race or a mountain bike race and win. So you know you're good enough to do that as well. And so you have that confidence then when you go into your road season or your track season or whatever else you're doing. And so um, to me, that makes it an incredibly good sport, plus the television coverage, plus the, you know, sponsors see that, they want to put you on a team. Yeah, I think it's the best sport in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're selling it to me right now. But it is it is like such an exciting sport to watch. And I feel like even though even though the races this weekend, the the racing against each other really happened in one lap, like Van Empel was off the front and and away and was winning the race before they even started the second lap. And Zoe for, for the U23 race, the start was a little bit more exciting with like, we had more riders up there, especially Schreiber. Like she was, she had a really great start and watching her kind of fall backwards whilst also watching is Isabella Holmgren kind of move forwards was super exciting. And there was a lot of racing going on behind Zoe, but I feel like even if you kind of take the fact that both races were won in super dominant style out of the picture, the, the there's so much racing happening behind them, even if it's 
also ones and twos, it's, it is really exciting. And I like how, I mean, there's this really interesting thing going on in the elites right now. I feel like with between Lucinda and the rest, like um, one of the one of the listeners actually actually asked about this about how Lucinda is one of the older riders in the top end at the moment, and watching her, and she's not even old at all. It's just compared to the likes of like Puck and Femme, and it's really cool to watch her continue to be up there and continue to be fighting for these wins and uh i feel like it's the there's so much else going on other than just the dominance of the two riders that won that make it really exciting yeah and actually this this world championships the the camera crew really showed you more than just the front of the race in i think they probably anticipated that a lot of the riders a lot of the races would be one solo so they actually showed you other battles as well which was really cool um and i mean that in some previous years, we have seen it really, really close. Um, and I think that's what, what your listeners ask in. So like 2020 World Championships, Brand, um, Worst and Alvarado were all together with 300 metres to go. And then it came into like a bank where two of them managed to get away because they made a smart move. And then it came down to a sprint. So it was a mega, mega exciting finale to the race. Yeah, it was a really cool race. and. And then the following years, it was Shirin Van Anroy, uh, Puck Peters and Fem Van Empel were neck and neck in every race. And so even up until last year, it was pretty much a mix of who would win on the day. And you could see these incredible battles in the same way that we saw that, that Worst Alvarado brand thing. And Brand has kind of covered all of that. She's never, she's always been around there. She's been with those groups. And I think part of the reason why um, she's able to, to do that is that she's constantly working on her skills. And this year at Tabor, I was actually really, really impressed at the, the way that she was able to ride lines that I've not really seen her ride before. And because when you're watching a lot of the races and, and commentating on a lot of the races, you're, you're picking up things that are, look really good and you're picking up. Uh, and if they're in a group together and one rider's doing that brilliantly, it might not look, make, brand look like she is doing it that brilliantly but when they're more individual you like actually that like she's doing that really really well and I think she's worked she's worked with Svenace since she's been on um Trek but she's really really all of that's coming in now all of that's meeting her ability and I think that's helped her stay close this year she obviously trains incredibly hard she obviously she's always been good she's been a world champion like we know that she was a good road rider as well so we know she has the ability to have power and strength. She doesn't quite have the zip that the younger riders have, but then nobody does. Um, and so um, for her, Puck Peter's skills are the best in the peloton of anybody in uh, women's cyclocross, but um, she doesn't have the power that Brand has. And if Brand is able to almost get close to her skills, then Put can't use those skills to get away from her. And Brand's able to stay in that point. And I don't know what Van Empel's done over the summer that's brought her to be so much better than the others. But at the minute, I think it might be a little bit of a, of a focus thing as well. So Peter's won Mountain Bike World Cup overall. And then she did a couple of races, took a break, and then came back. And her focus is clearly on the Olympics. So because it's a strange year, 
her focus is going to be mountain bike Olympics. And she's obviously going to be selected for that and she's going to want to win it. So when you have a goal like that, your training has started like at least a year in advance for that goal. You're not thinking, well, I'm going to be able to peak for worlds to win that and then come back and do the Olympics. Your focus is on the Olympics. And when Femme is that good and you've already started your season and you're not there with her, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, let's just stay on, stay on focus to what the main goal is, which is the Olympics. Brand isn't in the Olympics. Brand's goal is cyclocross. And you can see that she is as close as anyone to getting there. Vass, Blanca Vass was um, second in Hugerheide World Cup last week, but then she got sick in the week and so she didn't race. And um, she's clearly got Olympic focus as well, but then she broke her collarbone at the beginning of the season, so she wasn't able to race. And then she comes back in and she's not as good as we anticipated that she would be, but then finally she's in a sprint with Femme Van Empel at Hugerheide World. So um, these riders can kind of drop in, but I think. Femme's focus is cross, Brand's focus is cross, and Brand's done a brilliant thing with her skills in order to keep up with Femme, but Femme's still more skillful and a bit stronger, a bit faster. Um, and so Brand's not quite, she's she's almost there, but she's not quite there as much. And for me, the big breakthrough of the season was Alvarado because she had a couple of years where she'd been sick and injured and really struggling after that world championship win in Dubendorf. And she then in this season, at the beginning of the season, watching her race, you, you could just see she was physically close enough. She just wasn't mentally prepared to be there. And so it's almost like she watching her from the outside, you're like, you're good enough. Just, just do it. You can do it. <laughs> and it's almost like she didn't quite believe she'd be able to stay there for the whole race. And then as soon as she did work out, actually, I'm really good. She won a couple of World Cups and she won the World Cup overall. So it's kind of the riders can be there and thereabouts because a femme can't be good the entire season. It's impossible to be brilliant from September to February. But when she is on her best form, she is invincible. And how do those riders get to her? Ah, uh, if I knew that, I'd be like selling it to the Rudolph brothers and <laughs> all the teams so that they would be able to get there. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And but Van Roy and Peters were there once, so I don't see why they couldn't be back there again. And and Brandt, yeah, I mean Brandt's Brandt. She's also won World Cups this year. She also broke her nose like a couple weeks ago. I know I was commentating on that race and I was like, oh, well, you know, Brand's got this, there's nothing. And she just went slap. I'm like, no, <laughs> I've never done that in commentary because people say that's like a curse. And I'm like, no, nah, it doesn't happen. And then, yeah, uh, oh, oh, I'm not ever saying that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must have at least taken uh, like a little bit off of her ability to breathe i don't know i like it's crazy to me that she did that and then she won the nationals that's just wild well she said that she didn't have a problem breathing at all it wasn't affecting her so you just have to wait for it to heal but i do think when you see her racing worlds and you see her racing the nationals and hugerhide i do think because she had that little after Zonhoven, she had to like take time to get over all the investigations and you can't train as hard when you're going into hospitals and things like that. You don't want to get sick. So you're not, you're not out there like fully training and then going in for your appointments. You, you're focused on recovering your nose. Um, and I think because of that, it almost brought her peak a little bit forward 
And so I think we saw the best brand in nationals and Hoogerhide. And now she's just holding on to form. And I think maybe if um, if brand had been able to to race through that in the way that you're supposed to follow the training program as she was, maybe she would have been closer to Venipool. I don't think she would have been more than like any closer than a minute, but it might've been a minute, not like nearly two or what it was in the end. So um, I do think the the effect of the nose, while it hasn't affected her in the races, I do think it's just brought her peak forward a little bit and potentially that's why the gap was so huge end um because brand is stronger than that and that's a good course for brand it's not massively technical the bottom half is and then there's a little off camber bit but it's not massively technical and like I say her skills have improved so much that I don't think technique was a problem for her and you'd expect her to be really powerful on that kind of course so um she wouldn't have won she would have got the same result but um she I think she yeah, I think she might have stayed there for at least a lap. Well, I wanna I wanna talk a bit about the U twenty three race specifically before we dive into a couple of listener questions because we talked about Zoe and how incredible she was, but the fight behind her was also really exciting. And I feel like the second place rider, home nation rider Christina Zemanova, she was really impressive and she's she's done well in the U twenty three world championships last year. But this year it seemed like she just things clicked into place and it was cool to see how much support she got from the home nation, like racing on home soil, racing the world championships on home soil as a non Dutch or Belgian rider is pretty exciting because it doesn't, you know, get to happen all that often. So that was really cool. And, um, I think overall the U23 race was behind Zoe. I mean, Zoe winning was also exciting, but the whole race behind her was also thrilling. I, I agree. I think the, um, Leonie Bentfeld and the Zemanova battle were just really, really cool to watch. And it was really tough until that final lap to decide who really had the advantage because you could see um, Zemanova made a bit of a move on the um, on the off Cambry thing. She had a really nice line on there. Um, and no, sorry, Benfield. Benfield had a better line on there. Um, and then when they, but, but Zemanova could come straight back to her to the top of the hill. So then when they switched to go down, Zemanova had the better line and the little switch back before you go towards the finish. And so it's kind of, like hmm, who's gonna who's gonna be the the better rider in this situation and they were neck and neck the whole race until that final lap when you're thinking okay well if Bentvale gets in first she could win this if Zemanova gets in first Bentvale won't be able to get back so like what do you do and I think Zemanova just was just the crowds were just like insane for her and they they said they predicted that they'd sell 38,000 tickets on the Sunday and that was on Saturday they they predicted that. So they must have had numbers of tickets sold already and then assumed more people would come. And like most of those people would be cheering for Zemanova. So the whole way around, you could just hear that noise. And you could hear it on the commentary. We have ambient sound in our ears. And it's just like, okay, I'm trying to listen to what the other people are saying, but can we just like oh man, how do you down for a minute, guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, I remember the European Championships in Ipswich um, was the first European Champs I won. And me and Sana Van Passen were coming together, Dutch rider. And we were neck and neck to the finish. And it was a slight gradual uphill gravel uh, finish. And this, it was like a, an echo in this little zone. And everyone was obviously cheering for me because it's Britain. There's not 38,000 people there. That's like three, 4,000, you know, it's not a lot. But 
everybody was just cheering so loud and I was on the hoods not the drops because that's what cross riders do and she was on the drops and I was just like do not mess this up do not mess this up and then you can just hear this and just like I'm gonna win this and I won by like yeah 30 centimeters it wasn't a lot and it was because of that home crowd because that home crowd were cheering so hard for you that you could it was just ringing in your ears and you just didn't want to you don't even not even thinking I don't want to let them down you just I don't know it's just like like a lion roaring at you you're like I've got to go faster (laughs) (laughs) and that that obviously helped her a lot as well but I mean Bentfeld what a fantastic ride from Bentfeld and when you're always looking at these superstar riders like Baxter like Fen Van Empel like Brand you know you're looking at these riders that just come in and win stuff and then you look at a rider like Bentfeld and in my career I was I had some talent and I took it a long way and I worked hard and I got some fantastic results. And I love seeing riders that I think, well, like she reminds me of me. Like she started, she wasn't an absolute favorite when she started the race. Like when she started races as a junior, she was like fifth, six in some races as in the junior series in, in Belgium. And she finished on the podium and overall because she was always fifth, sixth, and it would mix who was coming in and out. And then she stayed in the sport and then her skills are actually absolutely brilliant. And she's working hard and she's working progressively hard. And she, she could be one of those riders that just like takes the opportunity to win when the very, very best riders aren't there. And she'll come up with amazing results. She had a third in uh, uh, Flamerville World Cup in France this year because she was there and she just rode in the way that she always rides, you know, she's always in that fifth to 10th spot in most world cups. And then she comes out and she gets on a podium because a few people around her makes mistakes and she'll have a fantastic career off of that. But then this year at the world championship, she's already shown that she's grown this season in just one season. She's grown massively in confidence and she's able to support that with, physical ability as well and yeah I think she'll go far in the sport she may never win an elite world championships but I think she'll be a multiple multiple UCI winner and it's really cool to see that because not everybody is born with the talent of Femme Van Empel or Zoe Baxter or Mariana Voss like we're not but there are a lot of people that are born with a lot of talent that if they work hard they can achieve amazing things and make a career out of something and so to more normal people, she should be an inspiration. I feel like also really impressive was Isabella Holmgren because she's she started farther back than the rest, and I feel like she really had to fight to get up there into fourth. And also, like her fight with Schreiber, who was coming in as more of a favorite, was really exciting to see. And like you guys said on the commentary, every single lap she did was faster and faster and faster. She just got better and better and better throughout the race, which, you know, seems like you wouldn't, you would in cross, you start out so fast and the start is so fast that you would only get slower from there. And that's kind of what happened to Schreiber. But for Isabella, she just got better throughout the race, which was really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And your start in cyclocross is so, so important. Um, and um, your start grid position at World Championships is based on World Cup overall. I think I think for under 23, for the elites, it's based on your world ranking. But for under 23, I think it's like 
World Cup overall and then nation ranking and then the nation picks who goes where. So I think it's like it's it's really, really tough. And there's ways to improve that start grid. You know, you get a better world ranking, um, you get a better World Cup ranking, things like that. And then you, you've improved your, your starting grid. Um, but she's first year. She's uh, She was junior world champion last year. Was she or was the other one? Isabel was, wasn't she? Yeah. Last year. Um, one, of she, <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> there was a home run in first and second. Anyway. <laughs> and now she's first year under 23. And so... Um, it, it's a big step up. You know, you saw Baxter last year, got second, went from junior world champion to, to second in under 23s. Um, and there'll always be that slightly older rider. And there'll always be that rider that's just had a few more years than you in the under 23 category. And um, it for, for her to increase her lap times every lap showed that she was capable of being up there towards the podium spots for sure. It was really just that, start and start position and maybe also it's a little bit um you know overbearing and a little bit new to go into the under 23 um the race conditions I think she's slightly better at the slightly faster courses but she obviously has a lot of strength she does a lot of mountain biking as well and um and she has skills so um yeah I, I think I think in the future, she's definitely got huge potential. And I mean, we've seen, so we've seen good Canadians over the years. Magali Rochette won a World Cup in, in uh, America a few, 2019, I think. Um, like she's had podiums in World Cups. So before her, I guess Linda Set was probably the rider before her. But like there's, there's been, yeah, she's a real legend, isn't she? And so there's always been good Canadian cross racers out there. Um, and when you see that, you have that, that knowledge. When you, come from a, a, when you come from a European country coming into Belgium, it, it can be like quite daunting. It can be quite um, exciting. It can be, you can be sad, you miss your family, stuff like that. But it, it's like 30 minutes on a tunnel. <laughs> on a train to get back to England you know for even uh even if you live in the north of England it's like a four-hour drive it's not really difficult whereas when you come from Canada or America or Australia you know it it's really hard to get home <laughs> if you have a bit of a mental breakdown it's hard to get home and knowing that in the back of your mind probably doesn't help going to a foreign country and so you're already on a back foot when you're from Canada or America or yeah a, a country that's a long way away from Belgium because you don't have that family support network around you and for these riders that come in they they come in for a short time you can't be here as long as we can well British people can't but yeah <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> <Not perfect>. anyway <laughs> um, normally European people can be in Belgium as long as they want and you only have a certain number of days on visas and things um, and you can't really engross yourself in that. You can't race every single World Cup. It's a long season. There's, there's 16 World Cups this year. I mean, for under-23s under have to race with the elite. So it's not even like um, they have their own. They The under-23 men have six World Cups just for them. Women don't have any. So it's not like you can say, I'm going to focus on those six because that will affect my 
world cup gridding that will affect my world's gridding um and so it makes it really really tough for these riders to really live it in the same way that Baxter is but I think I think she did an absolutely brilliant job and to to keep progressing every lap to get faster every lap is really really impressive to see and as time goes by I think she'll be up there as a contender absolutely in the under 23s I don't see why she wouldn't win it before she goes out to elites you also have to time your mental breakdowns you can't have them before (laughs) 3 p.m in the afternoon in Europe because no one's awake heaven forbid you have a mental breakdown before 3 p.m because no one will answer their phone (laughs) this is also true when i was uh with my son when i was like breastfeeding him at like 1 a.m in the morning i had uh, jonathan page's wife cory page she was always like i'd send a message she'd be like yo how's it going i was like sweet someone's awake (laughs) and then we chat like yeah the people you chat to in the middle of the night when you're in europe are only americans and then during the day when you got Europeans, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. So I never thought of it like that. If you're in Australia, you can like only have a mental breakdown at 7 a.m. Yeah. Your time periods for mental breakdowns are real rough. It's either like after 11 p.m. or like before 10 a.m. is the only time work. If you have during the day, you really just have to hold yourself together. You're on your own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, someone actually did ask how close do you think we're getting to having U23 World Cups for the women? Uh, in my opinion, the UCI need to focus on establishing that when you have a junior men's race, UCI race, which is mandatory if you have an elite race, then you need to have a junior women's race. And I think I think that um the junior women's scene exploded. We did the Hella 100. We got the uh, a series of five races in Belgium that was actually junior, so under 18, under 19, and youth, so under 16. And um, the first year we did it, we had one race. And then the next year we did it, we had five. And off of those five races, um, Fen Van Empel won it, and she had the choice to do soccer or um, cycling. And because she was winning the series, she stayed in cycling. And that, like, if nothing else, that is the biggest thing that that junior series did. They it gave us Fen Van Empel. and obviously she's done every all the work to get from where she was as a junior to what she is now. But if it wasn't for the junior series race, she would have just kept playing soccer. And Peters wanted to race, even though she wasn't really supposed to be racing at that point. She wanted to. She like had other things that she needed to do, but she wanted to race one of those junior series because that would be the only opportunity that she'd have to wear her European junior championship jersey because there were no other junior races. And so in that race, she was allowed to wear it. And she chose to race that because she could wear that European champs jersey. Um, Zoe Baxted was in the in the races. Um, Leonie Bentfeld was on the podium and the overall in those races. So to me, the junior women's series, I thought it was fit. The, the the charity that we had did everything we could to promote junior women's racing we put um we had some pros who did like um one-on-ones over the internet with with not one-on-ones like group meetings with with young women so they could come in and ask questions and um we had riders all over the world britain america belgium um spain like you know we really made sure that it wasn't just english nation thing and um we created this really cool environment we i we paid for um every woman under 23 at national champs that year 
so they didn't have to pay entry fees. Um, and one of the riders who was 39th in the under 16s was actually 17th at Worlds, Junior Worlds this year. She was a British rider's first year she's been selected for Worlds. And so, like, the UCI need to make that mandatory. They need to say when there is a junior men's race, there will be a junior women's race at UCI because it's still not fixed. And this was 2019-20 with the 21 were the years when we were doing it. And it's now 2024 and it's still not fixed. And after that, once that's done, I do think U23 World Cup would be a good thing. I don't necessarily think we need U23 um, races at all UCI races. I 100% think we need junior women's races. Wherever there's a junior men's, we need a junior women's. But under 23, I think even for the men, I think it's a really good category um, and it, it allows a lot of riders to grow in the sport in order to stay in the sport to become elites. Um, I think the women's field isn't quite it's super strong, but it's not, um, and, it, and it's really good. Those riders are uh, winning elite races, but I think it's not quite, um, there's not quite enough of them in Europe because you need to bring in riders from other nations in order to, to make it big. Um, and if you take them away, you reduce the numbers in the elite race and you also reduce the quality at the front of the elite race because a lot of our riders are under 23. So for me, I do think that in the World Cups, absolutely, I think there's there's huge potential to have an under-23 World Cup apart as the same as under-23 men. Um, and I think they only have six out of the 16, so it's not like every round anyway. But I do think that um, the UCI need to fix the junior women first. They really need to... Junior women is essential. It's unfair. Because of the racing ages, a 15-year-old could race a league. And that's just not fair. Why? How are we going to keep those women in the sport if a 15-year-old comes in and gets trounced by the likes of Van Empel? They're not going to stay. And to me, that needs to be fixed ASAP. I think last year, last this season, there were something like 30 junior women's races and like 150 junior men's races. And that's not cool. That's not how it should be. And yeah, there are junior women's races with eight or 10 riders around the world. I get it. But build it and they will come you just you've got to believe it and yeah build it and they will come so yes yes to under 23 world cups not necessarily yes to other ucr races <laughs> speaking of the juniors were there any major surprises for you in the junior and u23 ranks categories at the world i don't really think so i mean the junior women's race was mega exciting um not just because of the Cat Ferguson being British, but um, yeah, it was it was mega exciting. And that was a tough one to call because you could see how much Ferguson wanted it, but you could see that um, Jury was just, just that little bit smarter on the course. Um, and Ferguson was stronger, absolutely stronger. So... Um, it was massively disappointing for her. And it's sad to see that when it's a British rider and you're British and, um, you know, she won nationals by four minutes in the UK. <laughs> but uh, I just, yeah, just, it was, it was a mega exciting race, but I don't think there was any real surprises because all three of them have 
been on World Cup podiums and things. So, um, yeah, I don't think there was any massive surprises in the under-23s. The biggest surprise for me was Schreiber not being on the podium. Um, and for me, that could be probably um, the pressure. I mean, in previous years, Schreiber hasn't necessarily been as good as she She has been really good, but not as good as she is this year. The real contender. And it's probably the first time that she's been in an event where it's like, well, you know, you could actually win this, like other than European champs. Um, and the pressure's probably bigger. Um, and so it might have just been that. It might, but everyone has off days as well. You, you know, you can't say, well, it's world, so no one's ever going to have an off day. It's like, well, <laughs> well they just happened. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we always end the episode with something that we're obsessed with. And I want to bang through it really quick because I've, I've taken up a ton of your time, but I'm like so grateful for having you on the podcast because it's just been so awesome to talk to someone about Cross. You've totally sold me. I feel like I should try it again. <laughs> <Get a grand-up laughs> Maybe if I try it again now that I've had a kid and she, you know, cries whenever I walk away from her that actually maybe I will like it more yeah you won't fit hear her through the bleeding in your ears from the yeah. pain <laughs> um, last week I said that I was obsessed with the the women's professional hockey league that was just started in North America they have these walk-ins every before a game on social media they post reels of the players walking into the stadium or into the rink um, and they are getting really into it. Like they dress up super like in really cool outfits and sometimes they match each other and it's, it's really fun. And that was what I was obsessed with last week, but this week I'm obsessed with the actual games. Uh, some of them being in Europe, it's hard to watch some of the later games live, but I was able to catch a couple of the games live this week and man it's just so cool to be able to watch like women's sport. And like, I think in, in kind of, ties into what we talked about today and like what we have talked about a lot on the podcast with being able to actually watch the women's races now um being able to watch a professional women's hockey league is something that i did not think that i would be able to do in the year 2024 so um my daughter and i watched a game yesterday and it's just like incredibly cool that she's gonna grow up not having known that there was a world where we weren't able to watch women play sports um live so that is what i'm obsessed with today and every day yeah definitely uh like i am 100 percent behind showing all forms of women's sport because it doesn't just inspire women it inspires young boys as well like absolutely um i think women's sport is far more accessible we are far friendlier because of the nature of where we've come from in life and um you know we had to sell ourselves and now we're in a position where we don't the same way but like it, it just means that, yeah, uh, we're accessible and, and women can meet women and get inspired by them and talk to them and and just approach us. We're not, you know, we're not anything magical or anything. We're just trying to inspire the next generation. Do you have any, uh, do you have any obsessions, sport or unsport um, related? My obsession right now is actually in making... I'm not really doing it in a way that that is really in your face, but I think that mums need to support mums. And I have an amazing group of friends here in Munich that are Hungarian, Irish, American. uh, I've got some British friends, um, a couple of German friends. And I think 
if it wasn't for my friend group, um, I think I would struggled with motherhood. If it wasn't for one particular friend, my Hungarian friend, Dora, um, we went through it together. Her kid's four weeks, like a month older than my kid. Um, and it was lockdown on the day that Sasha was born. And we're in Germany, no family. She's in Germany with no family. And we met up every single week because we were allowed to meet up outside and stuff. And if it wasn't for her, she was my therapy. And I think I like to think I was her therapy. And I've seen other people along the way who have spoken to me, like Instagram and stuff, that don't have that friend. And they're like, why is my kid like this when other kids aren't? And like, well, your kid isn't. <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> your kid is normal. It's just you're only seeing what people want you to see. And so, um, like, yeah, um, there was this, there's this meme that actually dropped in. I've got a group of friends and we all ride bikes together and we're all mums. And we went away for a weekend and um, it was absolutely brilliant. We didn't take our kids or anything. And even though a couple of them were pregnant, they just came and met us at the hotel. And so I got this meme and it says, you don't need a lot of stuff in motherhood, but you do need the mums. You need the mums who are in it with you and the ones who are further down the road. And someday the ones behind you will need you too. You need the how is everyone doing check-ins. You need the laughs and you need the love. You need the I get it conversations. You need the mum. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It is so important to have moms with you through the whole process. And I hope I hope every single mother has at least one person that they can support, even if they're in a different country and they're a phone call away and your meltdown is in waking hours. <laughs> Normally it is not, but but it is so important. And um, yeah, I I feel like lucky enough that I found that with this podcast with Gracie and Lauren. But it's also yeah, it's it's so important not to feel alone as a mom going through it. Yeah, and that's a great obsession. I I love. I am obsessed with cyclocross, and I love doing the commentary. And I genuinely think it's awesome. And I hope I'm giving useful information to people or telling people the right kind of things. But that's one part of my life. And being an ex-pro, that's one part of my life. But being a mom is also a major part of my life. And I've got one kid. I'm only having one kid, and um, and he's really a major important part of my life. But like, you can separate them. But at the same time, you can also be passionate about both things because, you know, we're women, we can multitask. Yeah, of course. It's what we were born and bred to do. (laughs) Thank you so much. I I can't tell you how much of a joy this has been to have you on the podcast. And hopefully it's not the only time because, yeah, we didn't get to all the questions, but we had some really good ones. So it's, yeah, it's been just amazing. 